0: Welcome back to the Vine Church Podcast. Today, we are continuing our sermon series, Seeing Jesus, exploring the first nine chapters of Luke's Gospel. If you haven't already, you can find us on YouTube at Divine Church Heart, and we'd love to have you join us over there. So as uh, Andy says, we're going to be continuing our sermon series through Luke. So if you do have your Bibles, open up to Luke uh, chapter 3. Now, the scene that we're coming to is quite a significant scene, as I seem to say every week, but the Bible is significant. But in this scene, we see the kingdom being announced and we have two figures in this announcement scene. We have the herald and the king himself. We have John the Baptist and Jesus. So this morning, as we read through this, I want us to explore what that relationship means and how that affects us. What does that mean for us? So as we come to God's word, let's come to, uh, to it for what it actually is, the word of the living God to us. Let's read Luke chapter 3, verses 15 to 20. As the people were in expectation and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John, whether he might be the Christ, John answered them all saying, "'I baptize you with water,' But he who is mightier than I is coming, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie, untie. Sorry, He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn. But the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. So with many other exhortations he preached good news to the people but Herod the tetrarch who had been reproved by him for Herodias his brother's wife and for all the evil things that Herod had done added this to them uh, added this to them all that he locked up John in prison Let's pray Heavenly Father we thank you that you have spoken to us Lord that you have revealed yourself that you have come Into this creation through Jesus Christ. And Lord, as we read this story, I pray, Lord, that we would be face to face with what it means to know the King, face to face with what it means to know the gospel, the good news, the announcement of the kingdom. Lord, for those of us who know you, use this passage to empower us. Lord, for those listening who don't yet know you, use this passage. To introduce yourself to them, we pray. Amen. So, there's a couple of uh, really important things we see in this, but I think one of the first things that really sets the context for us is what we see here is the difference between the herald of the kingdom and the king himself. John the Baptist recognizes that the king is greater than himself. The first thing we see in verse 15 is that the people here are in expectation, they're longing for God to move, and so they're all starting to think now, this guy out in the wilderness who we're all coming out to be baptized by, maybe he is the Christ, the Messiah, the one that's promised in all of the Old Testament scriptures. Not that they knew it as the Old Testament, it was just the scriptures. The Christ is coming. And so now they see John, And they think this one must be the Messiah. And so what we see is they're willing to accept him as their Messiah when he hasn't really done much. They're willing to accept their Messiah for not a lot of reason. They had expectation and so maybe they presumed, here he is, he's the Christ. They hear that the kingdom is being announced and so this must be the king, right? And they were willing to be satisfied by a Christ that's not that impressive. And obviously that's quite a challenge for us because we have a tendency as well to be overwhelmed by underwhelming leaders. You know, you think about the way that when we find someone who narrates uh, public events in the way that we like, or when we latch on to politicians or podcasters or YouTubers, whatever medium it is, and they say things in a way that we would like them to say, we're quite happy to hang our hat on their hook, to go along with this person, to be overwhelmed by them, as if they have all the answers when they're really quite underwhelming. Longing, like what the people have, Longing in this way can often lead to us being reckless with our allegiance. You know, think about how often people uh, endorse someone or go along with something. And then a few weeks later, more information comes out and they kind of take a step back and wish they'd never made that endorsement. It's the same thing that the people are here and they see John and they say, this one must be him, even though he hasn't done anything to testify to him being the Messiah. They're being overwhelmed by an underwhelming leader. But what we see in John's response is that he doesn't give any moment for them to linger in this thought. He doesn't allow them to think of himself as the Messiah. He is not the one they should be coming to. He has no desire to grab power or claim to be something that he isn't. He doesn't even let them ponder it. In the verse, it's immediate. They, they're thinking he's the Christ and John answers them by saying, no, 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 one other than me, one greater than me is coming. There's a, uh, there was a leader in the 20th century of, the, uh, of Ethiopia, the, the emperor, Haile Selassie, who you may have heard of. And uh, there's, a, there's a religion called Rastafarianism. And in Rastafarianism, uh, Haile Selassie is considered to be the, the second coming of Jesus Christ. This is Jesus come back to earth in this emperor. Now, when Haile Selassie came to Jamaica, he was uh, asked by his advisors to tell the Rastafarians that you're not Jesus come back again. And his answer was. Who am I to disturb their beliefs? (laughs) Of course he'd say that. He doesn't want to disturb their belief. Why would he want to be thought of anything less than the second coming of Jesus Christ? To have all that influence. John is just so the opposite of this. Not for a second is he worrying about disturbing their belief or or not taking the power that could be his, he knows that he's the herald and a herald's role is to point to the king. In fact, he knows that his, very, uh, his, his role as herald means that any followers he does have are temporary. He doesn't hold them tightly. You know, I, I love the story in John 1. In John chapter 1, John the Baptist is there with his disciples And he sees Jesus and he says to them, behold, the Lamb of God. And it says, and his disciples left him and followed Jesus. And you get no sense that John was perturbed by that, that he was bothered that his disciples had left. If anything, he was probably the one sending them away. Behold, the Lamb of God. Follow him, not me. He knows that his role means pointing to the king, not pointing to himself. And that is our calling, if you are indeed a Christian, is to be a herald, is to be like John, the one who points to the king. We are heralds. And like we see with John, heralds know who's in charge. They know where the authority is. They hold their followings loosely, You know, Christians are not to be those who desire hordes of people who are influenced by us and want to come and hear what we say. You know, of course, there are leaders in the world who relish the fact that people are dying to hear every word off their lips. Of course they relish it. They've got influence. You know, why wouldn't they enjoy that? But Christians are the ones who aren't saying, I'm worth listening to, come to me. They're the ones who are saying, he's worth going to. Let me send you to him. I'm only a herald. I point to the king. So if you are insistent on listening to me, then what I say is, go to the king. If someone were to say, well, I choose you as my messiah, And the reply is, well, as your Messiah, I tell you to put your faith in Jesus Christ. And if you don't do it, you're disobeying your Messiah. Heralds point to the king. But not only do they know where the authority lies in that sense, it also means that they say no more than what their king has given them to say. A herald is not a good herald if he makes up his own message. Heralds speak what is given to them. And God has given us his word. The best preacher is not the one who is the most challenging or encouraging or the one who you most enjoy listening to. The best preacher is the one who is careful to stay in the boundaries of scripture, who is careful to say, I say no more than what God has given me to say. Lest we put our own thoughts or opinions or feelings above God's word. He is the king of We are the heralds. The herald is careful to stick to what the king says. And so we need our Bibles not merely to be better Christians, but to be better heralds. To be the ones who know what the king has given us to speak to this world. Heralds act on behalf of their king because they know who's in charge. And so we've seen that the people look to John as the Messiah And John says, no, 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 don't come to me. You will be disappointed. And he makes some specific points to say why he is not the king, why they would be disappointed, why he cannot do what the king can do. The first thing he says is, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming and he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. John is saying, don't come to me. All I've got is water. I, I can pour some water on you, but there's nothing more than that. The one who is coming, he has fire. And by fire, he means the Holy Spirit, God's presence. You know, all John can offer is a washing, And when you come before the Lord saying, Lord, Lord, was I not washed with water is not going to be good enough. He offers something external, something visible, something that we can all see. But what Jesus offers is something internal, something that we cannot see, but that changes us from the inside. John's symbol would have no power were it not for the inward work of that Jesus can do. they giving us the Holy Spirit. And it's significant that John refers to the Holy Spirit as fire. You know, you think about how fire is used to represent God throughout the Old Testament. When God descends on Mount Sinai, he's there in a blaze of fire. In the temple, there is fire. He leads the Israelites with a pillar of fire. Fire represents God's presence throughout the Bible and it's significant because fire has the power to both destroy and to purify simultaneously depending on what goes in to the fire it can destroy or purify and so the promise that is is held out by, by Jesus giving the Holy Spirit is that God's presence is coming Either be destroyed by it or be purified by it. Either put your trust in Jesus or be destroyed. John cannot offer that. John cannot offer the purifying fire. He cannot offer God's presence to dwell with us. He can offer water. He can point to what God is going to do, but he himself cannot do it. You know, think of it even today. Why does the church baptize? Why do we baptize people? Because we are heralds. And in baptism, we are proclaiming that God speaks, that God is speaking through it to say that he will baptize us in his presence, that he will wash our sins away, something that going into water cannot do. We, the heralds, have water, but he has the Spirit. So that's one way that John cannot match up to Jesus. The second thing we see is that John describes Jesus' ability to know the wheat from the weeds, to separate. Earlier on in this passage, as as Anita so brilliantly pointed out, the people are asking, what should we do? And John's solution, his prescription is, uh, do this. You do this. The best he can do is say, do some actions that give us a kind of sense of where your heart is. And he's not wrong to say that. We can only see what's on the outside. And the actions that you do are normally a um, a testament to what is going on in your heart. So John isn't in the wrong for suggesting this. But Christ is able to do far more than just work out where you are depending on your actions, he sees the heart. Christ can save to the uttermost because he knows who he's dealing with. You think about how precious that is, that even when there's nothing in your life that makes you visibly different from someone who does not know the Lord, Christ knows your heart. And so, as the book of Hebrews says, he is able to save to the uttermost. It's both a warning to us and a blessing. It's a warning because the most convincing hypocrite, the one who has got their life looking so good that everyone's convinced, isn't going to convince Christ. It's a warning to the hypocrite. But to the person who feels weak, who feels distant from God it feels like the life isn't matching up to how it should be the one that thinks i feel like i'm a fraud that i claim to follow christ but my life doesn't match up the blessing is that jesus knows the heart the book of isaiah tells us uh, a flickering flame he will not snuff a smoldering wick he will not put out even the The smoke that's just coming off the wick is enough for him to know that you are his. Because Christ sees you in your weakness, despite your failings, something that John or any other herald simply cannot do. Christ sees the heart. So, do you know Jesus? Are you living your life to convince yourself and those around you that you've got it all together? Christ sees the truth and he holds out the offer to make you his own. He is tender and patient. He is slow to anger and quick to forgive. He comes to offer life where we and John can only see the surface. Christ sees the heart where John would be convinced by a hypocrite. Jesus sees the truth. Where John would condemn a struggling saint, Christ sees his own. John cannot tell the difference. Jesus can. He knows the wheat from the chaff. The last thing that we see that John can't do, that Jesus can, that disqualifies John from being the Messiah, is that John can merely proclaim life, but Jesus comes to give life. John knows that the threshing floor, to use his symbol, is not his. The winnowing fork is not in his hand. He has no authority there. The fork is, however, in Jesus' hand. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn. But the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Jesus has the power over the threshing floor. He has the power to gather his own into his barn. Do not fly to leaders who can do no more than what you can. Fly to the one who is able to gather you into his barn. He will not allow a single grain of his wheat, of his people, of those whom he knows to be lost. He will gather them. Even when his own doubt themselves, even when these grains of wheat are saying, I'm no different from the chaff. Jesus is saying, don't be silly. Come into the barn. You're mine. Jesus gives life where John can only proclaim life. John says, if you come to me as your king, you are going to be severely underwhelmed. Go to Christ. And we as heralds have to join John in that, to say the king is far greater than I am. We must point to Christ because we cannot offer what Christ does. Heralds can give water. They can see people's works and they can proclaim life, but the king gives the spirit. He sees the heart and he gives life. The king is far greater than the herald. And so that then gives us a question as heralds, what is our role? What are we to do in this mission? What are we to proclaim? Well, the first thing that we see John doing, quite simply, is very much living up to the title of what it means to be a herald. He is doing just that, proclaiming the good news. You know, it's funny, Luke writes in uh, verse 18, with many other exhortations, he preached good news to the people. Now, for us, that might seem a bit bizarre, because when when you read back to what John has done, we've kind of gone, eh, where's the good news there? He's told people that the judgment of God is coming, that they're all going to be destroyed unless they repent, do this, do that. It might not sound like the same good news that perhaps we would give, but actually, it is. And the harshness is a necessary side of the same good news. You see, what's going on here is the the people here are so arrogant that simply because they are Jews, because they are children of Abraham, God loves them. And so simply affirming to them, "Yet God loves you and he wants to have a relationship with you, would just be completely obsolete because they'd be going, yeah, I know he does. I'm a child of Abraham. John doesn't give in to their arrogance. In fact, he tells them to Repent, because God could raise children of Abraham out of these rocks, if he's so pleased. Don't tell me, oh, but I'm a child of Abraham. Live like a child of Abraham. He calls to mind that God is not a God who will just roll over at evil. God doesn't see evil and go, oh, it's it's no worry. God is a God who is passionate about justice, as Anita so brilliantly taught us earlier. God is passionate about justice, and so judgment is coming. And how do we know that judgment is coming? Jesus is coming. Now, this is something that perhaps we avoid thinking about, but the fact that Jesus is coming is as much a sign of God's judgment as it is a sign of salvation. The Old Testament expectation is that when the Messiah comes, he will separate the righteous from the unrighteous. He will judge the unrighteous and bless forever the righteous. The problem, however, is that John's audience all presume that they are the righteous. And so that when the Messiah comes, it's all good news for us. But John is saying, no, all of us, every single one of us stand guilty before God. The axe is at the root. But the good news is this, God is making a way in fact God is coming to save those whom are his For all of those who are his are going to be gathered into the barn and so without Jesus there is no good news in fact Jesus the king is so inseparable from the good news that to proclaim the king is to proclaim the good news You see, unless God had intended to save, he wouldn't need to send Jesus. If judgment was all God intended to do, he could have done that from afar. No one needs to come down. Just send a ball of fire to swallow up the whole thing. But the fact that Jesus has entered in shows that he intends to save. He intends to bring people out of that. And so Jesus' very presence, the fact that John says, there is one greater than I coming is good news. And so we as heralds, like John, must proclaim that same good news, Jesus himself. The good news never changes. Perhaps we have to be sensitive as heralds how we emphasize it, just like John is careful to emphasize something that challenges his audience. We might need to put a different emphasis from John, but nonetheless, we proclaim the same good news than John. In fact, we need to not only proclaim it to the world, but we need to proclaim it to ourselves. We need to proclaim it to our families, to our friends, and outwards like concentric circles, that is what it means to be a herald of the good news. We also see in this passage that heralds do not show favoritism. Heralds of the kingdom know that the king is king everywhere. We see that John goes before Herod, the Tetrarch. Now, we've already seen in uh, verse 11 that Andy preached on last week that he has uh, everyday citizens come before him. And they say, what should we do? And he says, if you have two tunics, give one away. And then there's tax collectors that come. And they say, what should we do? Collect no more than what you're told to. And then soldiers come. And so, what we see is John's had everyday civilians of all different stripes come to him, and he's spoken boldly to them, and he says, "This is what you need to do." He speaks frankly and commands them to get their life in line with what it means to be God's people. He doesn't give in to the temptation that we often have to be nicer to one class of people than another, to to favor one and be harsher to another. Instead, we see that he goes to the king and does the exact same thing because being heralds of the kingdom means not showing favoritism. If Jesus is king, he is king everywhere. And so Herod is just as much accountable as all these other citizens. And he goes to them and he says, you have taken your brother's wife. And he reproves him on it. He challenges him. He rebukes him. Because that is what it means to be a herald of the kingdom. Because we all stand before the same standard. And, and so the question might be, well, how far do we take this? Because you might get in trouble if you're as harsh everywhere or as, uh, sorry, not harsh, but um, if you know the authority as a herald, if you take it everywhere, what does that look like? Well, Luke tells us what that looks like. And for all these things, Herod locked up John in prison. The civilians weren't going to lock him up in prison. They didn't have the power. The king could, but does John dampen his message? Does he make it more palatable because of the threat of jail? No, he says, you've taken your brother's wife and you stand condemned. And he is taken to prison. He's gone to the one who thinks he can do what he likes and has told him, you cannot do what you like. And so... Herod, who's there thinking, well, I'm the king, I can do what I want. In fact, he's also the king who is currently rebuilding the temple. So he's probably thinking to himself, and I'm a really good uh, God-fearing king, otherwise I wouldn't be rebuilding the temple. And then comes along this herald of God's kingdom. And he doesn't come in and say, you've done a great job on the temple, you know, and you're you're better than a Roman leader, at least you're Jewish. But there's just this one thing you've done wrong. Now he comes before him and he says, you have done wrong in the sight of God. John comes as a herald of the kingdom and speaks to him in the same way he would speak to everyday civilians. You are not living according to God's design and you must repent. And he ends up in prison for it. But this is what we as heralds are called to do. That is the calling that we have as heralds of the kingdom to put every area of life and every person that we know equally before God, to challenge and to call to repentance without discrimination. And that is a challenge. And it doesn't have to come with harshness or sharpness of tongue. It doesn't have to be rude, but it does have to come with authority because heralds speak with authority. The kingdom of God comes into every area of life. And so every area of life must conform to God's standard. Now, finally, the last thing I want us to reflect on in light of that is how John has the power to do this and how we too have the power to do this. See, John knows that to be a herald means to speak prophetically to the world out there. Now, how do we as heralds speak prophetically to the world out there? I'd like to to take you back to the story in one Kings twenty-two of the of the prophet Micaiah. It's an excellent story. So in King in One Kings twenty two, you have the king of Israel and the King of Judah, and they're wondering about going off to war somewhere. And uh, the king of Judah, Jehoshaphat, says, well, maybe we should consult the prophets. And the king of Israel replies, well, there is one prophet, Micaiah, but I hate him because he never says good things about me. And Jehoshaphat says, well, I I wouldn't speak like that if I were you. Let's get him in. And so Micaiah, the prophet, comes in and they say, we're going to go to war. What does God think? And Micaiah replies, yeah, fine, go to war. It'll all go well for you. Then the king of Israel replies, what did God really say? And Micaiah says, I saw the house of Israel scattered on the hillside like sheep without a shepherd. The exact message that the king did not want to hear. But then Micaiah continues. He says, behold, in a vision, I saw the throne room of God surrounded by hordes of angels on his right and on his left. And as I stood there, I perceived a voice. And he, he goes on to say how he's been challenged to come before the king and give him this message, and how all the other prophets are liars telling him to go. And so what we see in that story is that for Micaiah to come before the king, he must spend time in the presence of God. He spends time in, in, the, in God's counsel humbly so that he can come before the king boldly. Before he can go to the public square, first he has to remain in the private sphere with God. That is the challenge and the blueprint for us. Heralds stand humbly in the council of God in order to stand boldly in the council of humans just as micah did just as john the baptist did we stand humbly before god in order to stand boldly before the world so if you are indeed a christian that is your challenge if you're not yet a christian then you have heard the good news you have heard that judgment is coming, but God has made a way. He has sent Jesus. The challenge is how are you going to respond to that message? Will you come before God humbly? And as, may we as Christians continue to be challenged by that story of Micaiah continue to be challenged by that story of John the Baptist, that we would know that in order to live up to our vocation, in order to live up to our calling as disciples and members of the kingdom, we first must spend time humbly before God. But not as an end in itself. In order that we may go boldly into the world, that we may do what John does, that we may say, don't come to me, go to him that we can do what John does and says, the kingdom is coming and your life must live up to it. So as we finish and as we remain challenged by those words, let's come before God in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the superb example of. The heralds of your word that we find in the Bible. Lord, we thank you for how these faithful uh, people, and they were just mere people, Lord, how they lived up to the calling that was placed on their life as a herald of God's kingdom. Lord, I pray that as you have called us into your kingdom, not merely to be citizens, but to be messengers, to be heralds, to be ambassadors. Lord, may we too live up to that calling. Lord, we thank you that this this promise of the Holy Spirit that is given to us is the means of how we can live up to this calling, that you have given us the way that we can do it. So we do pray, Lord, fill your whole church with your Holy Spirit. Fill us with boldness. Fill us with your presence that we may spend time in your presence in order to be bold out there. And Lord, may we not for a second try and stand in the place of the king, but ever be pointing to Jesus, ever be saying in our hearts, glorify him. Deal with pride, deal with arrogance, deal with uh, timidity, Lord. Give us a boldness that is rooted in your glory, we pray. In Jesus' name, we pray. The only name by which this is possible. The only name by which this kingdom may be entered into. In his name, we pray. Amen.